You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. <laughs> should do this more often. If you've been tuning in online, you would know that we're in the fourth week of our Advent series. Uh, We're running five sermons uh, up to and including Christmas Day, and we've been looking at the great themes of Advent. So from the beginning, the first week we learned that Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, um, which comes from the Greek word parousia, and that word is in the, the New Testament text. It refers to, well, it means coming, and it refers to the coming of Jesus. So that's why we have Advent in the the Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, remembering his first advent. But Christians have always, in addition to or complementing the remembering of the first advent, they have also looked to the second advent of Jesus, that is, his second coming, his advent with that which is to come. And so Christian history has sort of been shaped by, and church history has been shaped by, these two advents. Is it just me or is that, is it, am I resonating a lot right now? Okay. Um, it's going to get louder. Uh, so Advent. So we've been talking about these two Advents and how really our experience in this life is uh, an experience lived out in between Advents. We live in the now and not yet. Jesus has come, but Jesus is still to come. And that, that understanding, living in that tension, sort of colours all of our Christian experience. But we've been encouraged, as we've looked at these great themes of Advent, the great themes of hope and peace and today joy and on Friday love, as we look at these four great themes of Advent, we've been trying to see them in light of both the first and the second coming. How, how is this life lived once the, the light is shed on it, both from 2,000 years ago at the birth of Jesus and, I don't know, any minute now in the second coming of Jesus? How can we cultivate hope and peace and joy and love as we live in the tension of the now and not yet? You kind of get this sense when you look at Christmas carols, when you avoid just going into pilot, autopilot mode and saying them from rote, when you actually look at the, the, the words of many of the Christmas carols, in fact, many of them were written as Advent anthems. And so many of them have these themes, both of the first coming of Jesus, but also of his second coming. We're going to sing at the end of the service today a, a, a kind of new version of Joy to the World. And you get this sense in, in the lyrics of Joy to the World. It's it's. Joy to the world. Um, hey, do I have some lyrics up there? Should probably know them off by heart 39 years into this. But okay, so yeah, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. First advent. The Lord is come. We receive King Jesus even in that manger. But also joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Jesus is ruling it, reigning at the right hand of God, and any moment he's going to break in and roll up human history. He's going to consummate all things. He's going to renew all things. He's going to invite us into a recreated 
existence, a new heavens and a new earth. That's what Advent is all about. And so this morning, I want to talk about the great Advent theme of joy, and I want to see how both the first Advent and the second Advent shape our experience and enable us to cultivate joy in the now and not yet, in this life. So first of all, let's look at the first Advent. Let's look at Jesus coming, or the Son coming to earth in Jesus. I was kind of searching for a single passage to show us why the first Advent should manifest joy in our hearts. And then I I was just kind of scanning uh, Luke's gospel and I noticed just as I looked at the page, there are kind of multiple, multiple experiences of joy in the first couple of chapters of Luke. Multiple expressions of joy in response to the news that Jesus had come. In response to the fact that God had broken into human history, God became incarnate, God became a man. So let me just read a couple of these to you. So you've got Mary's response. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 47, Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. You know, rejoice and joy have the same root meaning. Her experience, along with a little bit of fear, was one of overwhelming joy. Same with Zechariah. You remember, he's uh, John the Baptist's dad. And when he hears, not only that he will have a son that will pave the way for the Messiah, but that the Messiah himself would come, his response was this. Again, in chapter 1, verse 67 and 68, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. And then you get the angel, the angel who appears to the shepherds, This is what he kind of summarizes this news as meaning for the people of earth. He says, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. His summary of the gospel is, what does it mean? What's the bottom line? Great joy. And we can go on and on and on, and I will. Simeon, he, he remember, he, he had been waiting and waiting and waiting for God's promise to be revealed, to be consummated, for the Messiah, the promised Messiah to come. He, along with hundreds of years, thousands of years of Israelites, waiting and waiting and waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled, where he would send a king who would be just like God among his people, 700, 800 years before, Isaiah prophesied that this child would be born to a virgin, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And Simeon sees it in Jesus and he says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as promised. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. And Anna is similar. Anna, who has spent like 80 plus years just living in the temple since her husband died, just living in the temple, waiting, waiting, waiting 
for God to act, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And she says, it says, Luke writes at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Why? Why was there such joy manifest in all of these people's experiences? What prompted them to prophesy and rejoice and praise God for his goodness? In every case, it was because they could see God's promises fulfilled. And that's, that's why the first advent should give us joy. That's why we should experience joy at Christmas as we remember the first coming of Jesus. Because we ought to remember, like these four brothers and sisters, that at Christmas... God's promises are fulfilled. And this is the secret to joy. Right? We'll talk about this a little bit today. The secret to joy, as opposed to happiness, you don't want to divorce those two things too much because they're, they're related closely. But I think happiness, our experience of happiness, is very much contingent on circumstances, Right? How am I feeling right now? Because you live in the 21st century, you ask yourself this about 800 times a minute, all right? People didn't used to think this way. We're much more selfish than people used to be, okay? So we're very obsessed with how we're feeling. How am I feeling right now? How am I feeling right now? But what about now, right? And so our happiness is contingent on how we answer that question, which is also contingent on our circumstances. Like right now, if you are hoping for an eight-minute sermon, you are not experiencing happiness because circumstances are working against you. Or maybe your breakfast, I don't know, your toast was burnt this morning. Or maybe the kids kept you up all night. These things influence our happiness. But joy goes much deeper. Joy is not based on shifting circumstances, but on God's promises. They're not subjective, they're objective. They're not created or manifested or achieved by us in our own strength, but they're given. Given by a gracious God. So that's why these guys were rejoicing. Yeah, Mary was afraid because of her circumstances. She's a kid, right? She's afraid because of her circumstances, but she's full of joy because of God's promises. So it is with us. We must ground our joy in the fulfillment of God's Promises. This is the secret to joyful living. So there's the first advent. What about the second advent? You guys are very familiar with the book of 1 Peter. Jimmy and Sam preached through this for us in our last series. The book of 1 Peter is all about the second advent of Jesus. Right? He's just Peter in the midst of great suffering as Christians are put to death in the most gruesome ways. Obviously, you know, for, for, for obvious reasons, they are just trained on the second coming of Jesus. Please come, Lord Jesus. We were praying it a lot during lockdown, weren't we? And that's because, I, I don't know, we, we couldn't travel more than 20 k's. Right? So that's what we were doing. Come, Lord Jesus, come and fix this mess. They were being dragged off to be crucified by the day. Families were being torn apart. People were thrown in prison, by which I mean thrown in a hole in the ground. Right? And, and so in, the, in that context, they're praying, come, Lord Jesus. And in that context, Peter is saying, put your hope in 
the second advent. And so he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, he says, Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says the reason you can, in the midst either of crucifixion or pandemic, in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, you can rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy as you train your eyes on the second coming of Jesus. As you put all of your stock in the renewal of all things, the consummation of all of God's promises, that's how you experience joy in the midst of suffering. It's all about where you look. Like if I was to ask, if I was to ask any of our kids this morning, um, if I was to ask any of our kids, are you looking forward to Christmas this morning? What would the answer be? Pretty unanimously, yes. Yes. And notice the question, are you looking forward to Christmas? Yes, absolutely yes. Every kid is, I mean, they don't even know what is for lunch today. They don't know what's happening after church today. They have no idea what is going on right in front of them at the moment. They are too busy looking forward to Christmas, to the first advent. Kids, how many days is there till Christmas? Five. Five. <laughs> it's like that. You know, you know why that is? Do you know why they have a ready response? Do you know why they, are so, they have their eyes so trained on Christmas? It's because they meditate on it. They meditate on Christmas. You know, meditate comes from, I think it comes from the same kind of root word as uh, like measurement. They regularly, consistently, throughout the day, think about Christmas. They meditate on it. And Peter says, even in the midst of what can be catastrophic suffering, as you meditate, as you, in a measured way, consistently focus on the second coming of Jesus, you can experience inexpressible and glorious joy. Modern psychology is only discovering now what Peter knew 2,000 years ago. That is that our brains have this plasticity. Our brains can be trained at the, as you meditate on something, right? as you train your brain, it adapts and shapes around that which you focus on. Every single person in this room would benefit greatly from training their minds on the second coming of Jesus. I promise you, you will experience more manifest joy as you do that. So that's the first advent, the second advent. Now, how do we bring them together in this, this life? How do we let them bleed into our experience so that we actually functionally walk in the first and the second coming of Jesus and experience that hope, peace, joy and love as we follow him? How do we cultivate it 
Well, as ever, I've got three ideas. You guys have got way more, and you've got all the time in the world to share them after the service. So let me give you my three, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll um, I don't know, do whatever we're doing next. Number one, thing that you can do to cultivate joy in the here and now. Thank God for happiness and ask God for joy. Again, I don't want to divorce those two. I don't want to make any false dichotomy here. Those things are very related. And yes, happiness is a good thing. It's a good gift from God. Anytime you find yourself in the midst of circumstances that give birth to happiness, I mean, just good times, then by all means, praise God for those good times. We don't want any solemn, morose Christians who, you know, in the midst of having the best time of their lives are saying, well, I don't, you know, I just don't want to get overboard here because this is happiness and what I really want is joy in God's promise. We don't want that. No, at every opportunity, give thanks to God for happiness. This morning, if you're, I mean, you don't look like it, but if you're experiencing any measure of happiness at being here together again after nine months, then give thanks. Thank you, God, for these, this extraordinary second set of circumstances that I'm in that I can give you thanks to you for. I was sitting with my mother-in-law the other night at uh, dinner, this big table full of food, and we were with Renee's side of the family that we, we couldn't meet with throughout lockdown. They were more than 20 k's away from us. So we had nine months of not seeing them. And then we were there just a couple of weeks ago and the sun was shining and the table was full of food. And I realised I've sat here for half an hour without recognising or giving thanks for this once. So quickly do we take things for granted. And so I turned to... Jan and I said, hey, we should be so thankful that we can even just sit here together after nine months of being prevented from doing it. And she said, yes, yeah, we should. Give thanks for happiness. Praise God for any set of circumstances in which I can say I am happy. Every good gift comes to us from the Father of lights. And Ask God for joy. Joy is, even if lockdown never ends for 80 years, I will experience joy in God's promises. Irrespective of my circumstances, I will experience joy in God's promises, in God's presence. This is how the prophet Habakkuk says it. I know you guys have all memorized this book, but let me just read a couple of verses to you. Habakkuk, that's a book in the Bible, chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. I just love this. This says it exactly. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there be no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice. Rejoice in what, Habakkuk? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, 
my saviour. You see where his joy is found. There's no food. In an agrarian society, that means there's no tomorrow. Right? There's nothing for us here, and yet I will rejoice in the Lord, in God my saviour, because he is faithful. Even where everything around me fails, he is faithful. That's why the writers of the New Testament say crazy things like rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in all circumstances. Yeah, so thank God for happiness. Ask God for joy. Number two, remember. This is something some of us need to learn, and me most of all, all right? This is the reason that I'm seeing a psychologist right now. This is what I'm trying to learn. Remember that life between Advents is imperfect. We ought not expect everything to work all of the time. Am I the only one who needs to hear this? Is there anyone else who gets frustrated at anything that goes wrong ever? Plans that fail. People that fail. Dreams that are broken. Visions that never come to pass. In this now not yet life, we need to remember that life between advents is imperfect. I'm reading this book as part of my therapy. Uh, I didn't plan to tell you all about this, but you know, it's on the internet now. So um, I'm reading this book called The Happiness Trap. And apparently it sold a million copies or more. And, um, uh, and th- there's a couple of lines in, in that book that I want to share with you. I've got a quote here that I'll read to you. The book is by Russ Harris. And he says, the more we try to avoid the basic reality that all human life involves pain, the more we are likely to struggle with that pain when it arises, thereby creating even more suffering. And he goes on, Unfortunately, many people walk around with the belief that everyone else is happy except for them, and you guessed it, this belief creates even more unhappiness. Now, Christians, as Christians, we ought to be the ones among all people who understand this truth most succinctly. Right, because we understand it's now and not yet. The world is created good, but it fell. It was broken. As the, Paul says in Romans 8, it was subjected to futility in hope. So every earthquake, every cancer diagnosis, every pandemic is like a, a, a groaning in childbirth. It's a labor pain. It's a reminder that the the world is not as it should be. And we ought to walk around and live in this world knowing that that is characteristic of our experience. And yet, the reason we don't despair, we don't become a nihilist, we don't cash in all of our chips and just say, forget it, it's pointless. The reason none of that is true is because we have this sure and certain hope that the second advent is coming that the world is going to be renewed, 
that all things are going to be made right and just and perfect just as they were meant to be. I can rejoice in hard times because I'm not expecting everything to be perfect. I will rejoice in the future because everything will be perfect. This is how Peter, again, Peter says it to his congregation in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. He goes on, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice when with great joy his glory is revealed. So you can rejoice in the midst of this now and not yet and you will rejoice when he comes again, when his glory is revealed. That's the second thing. Third thing, remember to ground your joy in God's unwavering promises. And again, this is the theme that we've repeated again and again through this Advent series. It really is what Advent is all about. It's all about giving us an opportunity once again to ground ourselves in the sure and certain promises of God. We saw them delivered upon in the first Advent. We will see them fulfilled in the second so take some time, even now, even as, even as I'm speaking to you this morning, take some time once again to take your hopes, take the foundation of your peace, take the manifestation of your joy, take your whole understanding of love and ground it once again in the promises of God, the unfailing, unwavering promises of God I think a lot of us spent that whole lockdown period just living from one Dan Andrews press conference to the, to the next I don't know what happened between there I think we mainly just ate a lot of takeaway food and then Sunday would come around and the North Face jacket was on and we were, just we were just waiting for some good news and so often we were disappointed. From the church's perspective, we were just waiting. When are you going to let us back in the building together? And so often we were frustrated. Even when other people got to go back into other buildings, we were still prevented from coming back together. And so there's just this ongoing frustration. And that's what happens when you ground your joy in shifting circumstances. God save us from finding joy in the Premier's press conferences or in the ability of this church to fulfil all your hopes and your dreams or in the capacity of this guy to, I don't know, be a good pastor for you or whatever. Like anything that we, we ground our hope in that isn't the unwavering, unshakable promises of God, I mean, we're going to be disappointed. So let us, even now, I'm going to pray for us in a second. Let us, God, be gracious to us, enable us to once again 
Yeah, I'm just going to pray. Let's, let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, even now, as we remember, as we remember your first coming at Christmas, the first advent, and the great fulfillment of hundreds and, and thousands of years of promises from you to us, and as we look again to your second advent, and the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, of the renewal of all things, of a new heaven and a new earth, of an eternal existence living in your presence and with your people. As we consider these great promises, may we find our joy in them. Lord, we know, we know our default is to find joy and happiness in shifting circumstances. Lord, save us from that. Once again, even as we thank you, Lord, for these circumstances that you have contrived for us this morning, to meet together, to sing together, to pray together, even as we thank you for these, we ask once again, give us a deeper joy in your unfailing presence and your unfaltering promises. We love you. We thank you for all that you've been doing over this past year and all that you're going to do in the future. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.